millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This isn't just basketball. This is the NBA playoffs. And with William Hill Sportsbook, you can dial up the playoff intensity from the palm of your hand. Just download the William Hill mobile app, and your first bet of up to $500 is risk-free using promo code RADIORF. New users only. Must be 21 years or older and present in Virginia to bet. Paid in free bets. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call, text, or chat our confidential and toll-free helpline at 1-888-532-3500. William Hill Sportsbook. Proud partner of the NBA. Let's make it interesting. My name is Dave Hanrady and there will be no encore. Welcome to The Revisit, in which we go back in time to assess Irish albums past. Uh, it's Halloween when we're recording this one, so I hope there's no ghosts in the machine, but we'll find out. The year in question this time is 1991, and I have a all-star panel with me. To my left, there's Shane Langan, an actor, comedian, and a writer. Hello, how's it going? All thanks, of these things. Thanks for having me, Dave. Thanks for I'm coming, sir. Excited. Kieran McGuinness is to my right, as always. You know him from De Laurentos and various other... Gambits around Just down to actually Don't do a lot of other things <laughs> And uh, I'm delighted to be reunited With my former Hot Press colleagues uh, Roisin Dwyer Commissioning Editor emotional. Of Hot Press Magazine Hello Hello you? Dave Great to see and you And Deputy Editor Stuart Clark We have mutually assured destruction Because I know stuff about you Yes <laughs> And you sure as hell Know stuff about me it's So true. we have to be Kind of reasonably civil tonight To each yeah. other Yeah it's I a, want to hear all that stuff yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a politically You know Pretend podcast Where we yes. Where we try and make friends But uh, yeah as I say It's 1991 this time Which is a a huge year for Irish music in the guise of two or three albums in particular which are on our shortlist our shortlist this time out is My Billy Valentine Loveless of course that's here uh, you two are back once again having missed the last one for the first time mm-hmm. they're back with Octung Baby we have The Frames debut album another love song we have A House I Am The Greatest and we have Into Paradise Church Town now Kira, how did we arrive at those five? Um, through a complex uh, machine based um, picking things out of the sky no um, I think it, this is a really hard one because whenever we uh, went around and asked people what albums they wanted to listen to from the year, you know, sent out the shortlist, 
it just kept coming back to my buddy Valentine or our house um, or you two. So we kind of had to go for third choices, fourth choices down the list. And the funny thing about this year is that the biggest Irish album, arguably, it, well, one of the biggest Irish albums was the Commitment soundtrack, which was just <laughs> in everybody's house for like 20 years, you know, and um, as well as, as, as White Ladder or whatever, you know, and um, that's kind of nearly the one that when people look back in the year, they see that, but obviously it's it's not original, so you can't, uh, we're not including that one. But um, uh, yeah, I, I think that it is, it's going to be hard because these albums a lot of these albums, especially MBV and Our House and U2, kind of stand as sort of legends. Do you know what I mean? Like the th- those three albums, My Buddy Valentine, U2 and Our House were the top three of the Irish Times 40 greatest Irish albums. Okay. In, and they're all from this year. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And also, uh, Churchtown uh, by Into Paradise was number 55. You know what I mean? So like, the, and the other one, The Frames, is like the debut album of one of the biggest ever Irish bands. So it's a pretty heavyweight list. Okay, well, before we get to that, what was going on in the wider world? The, <laughs> the pop culture world. Wider okay, world. so, albums, it was a pretty ridiculous year for albums. Michael Jackson's Dangerous, Nirvana, Nevermind, R.E.M., Out of Time, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Bud Sugar, Sex, Magic, Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion 1, and I think 2, but anyway, 1 for the moment, uh, Metallica's Black Album, Pearl Jam's 10, Primal Scream, Screamadelica, Gish, Smashing Pumpkins, Massive Attack, there's also De La Soul, um, De La Soul is Dead, um, Blue Lines, A Tribe Called Quest, NWA. Like, it's just a ridiculous year for stuff going on in music. Absolutely seminal albums. In films, your favourite al- f- film, Terminator 2. Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> your second favourite, Point Break. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Signs of the Lambs, The Commitments, as we said. Thelman Louise, JFK, Hot Shots. These are all great. Hot amazing. Shots is an amazing film. Hot Shots is an amazing film. Um, it's better than Terminator 2. I wouldn't go that far. Uh, Bill and Ted's <laughs> Bogus <laughs> Journey. Or is it Bogus Journey? Bogus, Bogus Journey is a sequel, yeah. Not as good as the first one. Excellent Adventure is the first one. Oh, yeah. Two years prior, I think. Which maybe? is the one with the devil in it? No, the death in it. That's Bogus, Bogus Journey. Bogus Journey. Played okay. by William Sadler. There you go. There you go. Some trivia for you. Um, and the uh, best picture, randomly, Dances with Wolves. Oh, Kevin Costner, yeah. Was that has to be one of those best What's pictures that? that's just not doesn't you know it's just not, hasn't yeah. lasted it hasn't lasted yeah. at Do you know all I mean? it's not like yeah. every Christmas everyone sits around and watches that <laughs> there was definitely a Native American thing happening wasn't there mm. re-evaluation and sort yeah. of you know guilt amongst the American public which was obviously you know long overdue but mm. I suppose you know Hollywood passed through that phase I assume that was it was Kevin Costner going in and saving them in some way was that not the was 1991 not the same year that uh uh, Robin Hood, Prince, Prince Thieves, Thieves yeah. Robin Hood, that's what right, yeah. Big year, which was Crossfire. Brian Adams yeah. and uh, Brian Adams. Uh, Brian Adams at number one for like about three or four weeks or more than that, maybe. Like, oh no, no. Oh, about eleven or twelve. No, it was like, more. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was, it was it top was, of the pops. It was a big yeah, So yeah. every single oh god, here we go again. <laughs> I remember uh, seeing Terminator Two in the Savoy. I was on a date. What oh. a, a perfect date movie, Terminator Two. <laughs> the relationship he? didn't last. Who was he? I say nothing. There's actually there's no correlation because actually the first date I went with. Uh, on with my wife was uh, to uh, Passion of the Christ. Oh. Whoa! Yeah, so it was fine. Did, well, we yeah. recovered from that and we got married. Did you Congratulations! Go it had, <laughs> yeah, yeah. had the word passion in it. Well, that's what I was thinking. In the seventies, was The Exorcist. Brilliant. And I think wow. it was our first and only date. I thought it'd be quite romantic, <laughs> but um, they should grip hold of me tightly during the scary bits. But I had the. I brought a girl effect. on a first date to see Jason Satham actioner crank. Oh, <laughs> and about, about fifteen minutes in, when he was like snorting coke off the ground, I turned to her and I went, "I'm really sorry." <laughs> <laughs> uh, my dad uh, brought my mum when they were in London to Blue Velvet. 
Oh, oh wow. Halfway through, Smooth halfway through, she was really freaked out and she was like, I'm leaving. And he stayed. <laughs> oh. And they're still together. Oh. Like, I don't know how, but fair play to them. That's a good gamble. Yeah. Exactly. I think he was just really interested in the movie. Um, but yeah, what about sport? Have you got uh, like sports? Uh, no, I, uh, thanks for asking. I don't have any. Sports. <laughs> I, do have, though, I do have some really cool stuff, though. I have, um, so get, uh, get this. <laughs> get this, guys. Got no. it. All right, anyway, uh, so the debut of the uh, the World Wide Web was this year. Yeltsin, first democratic uh, president of um, Russia. Obviously, then the whole thing broke up. The USSR into the CIS, I think. Um, the Operation Desert Storm started. Lithuania became independent. EEC listed, lifted trade. Um, I can't read that word. Um, barriers of some sort. <laughs> Freddie Mercury announced that he had AIDS and then he died the next day, which is absolutely Jesus. shocking. Mm. The Rodney King beating. Ed Sheeran was born. Shocking. Um, Yugoslavia broke up. Uh, and the phrase going postal happened because a guy who was a postman killed loads of people. Thanks for bringing the room down there, Kieran. <laughs> and Ed Sheeran was born. I'll bring it back up if you want. Blackboard Jungle started on RTA. Oh, man, I miss Blackboard Jungle. That was great. Yeah, so. Some well, killer graphics and that kind of thing. Where in the world? Did that, was that around the same time? It was a bit earlier. Well, nonetheless, we will bring it back to Ireland, though, and we will get involved with our records. Kieran, where should we start? Um, well, how about I take? Uh, I start with Into Paradise and Churchtown. Okay, fair enough. Uh, we'll take a track from that now, and this one's called Angel. So that's Angel off Into Paradise. You chose that as our snippet, Kieran. Why that one? Um, well, I think, so Into Paradise are a four-piece from Dublin, I think, from Churchtown. Um, I think this is their second album. They're a funny band because I, there is an enormous amount about them online. They started out as a band called Backwards Into Paradise. I've heard, for me, they're one of those bands that I've heard about a lot. Oh, Into Paradise, yeah, they're one of those great uh, Irish bands. And this, this was the album, so I was, I was really kind of looking forward to hearing it. Um, I I found it really hard to get into this album because it is a very limited kind of palette. It's very big reverby drums, big guitar. The vocalist kind of sings in a similar way all the way through. It was it just took a while. It was a bit um, uh, it was a bit impenetrable at the start. It was a little bit repetitive. Um, I thought it was very guitar heavy. I thought it was very eighties. Yeah, you know? say yeah. it feels like a hangover record from the eighties yeah, where like, just things were changing, but certain bands weren't. Mm. But then uh, after a couple of listens in the bath. Which I won't get into. Essential oils, candles. essential oils, you candles. did. Yeah. Cadbury's flake. The, you did get into the bath. Yeah. The bath. Yeah. Um, I got into it. The bath. But um, no, um, I, I kind of uh, yeah, it started to kind of show itself, sort of, I suppose. And um, I really got, I really, really got into it. Um, I think it's a really, um, like, uh, I know I didn't listen in the bath with headphones, but I think it's a really headphones album because when I did listen to it on headphones, it kind of again all the subtle keyboards started coming out and stuff. Um, it's it's really good, but it's it's it suffers from, and it sounds a bit weird. It kind of repeats itself. The things that it does well, it does well in other songs on the album, and uh, yeah. So basically, there's a couple of great tracks. That song "Angels" is brilliant. Uh, Yesterday's man, uh, r- uh, rain comes down. 
Um, and I would take off two or three off this and it would be a really, really strong, really, really good album. Would you take off, uh, first of all, I'm really glad you stayed safe in the in your aquatic adventures there, by the way. <laughs> uh, would you take off Burns My Skin? Because that's a bit metal, isn't it? Like, it's a yeah, bit kind of like, weird. Burns it's not my skin. bad at all, but it's just very like, maybe it's because I just finished watching the new season of Stranger Things, which obviously is in thrall and death no to, to the 80s. No spoilers. Apart from there's lots of 80s songs in it, which I think people will know going in. But it has that kind of like, this just feels like, you know, like the bad guy walks into a club and this song is playing because it's just this angry yeah. rock song but it's mixed in with the more kind of like I mean like not quite shoegazy because you know Loveless obviously would be of a much higher standard of that kind of style but it flirts with it here and there but there are the occasional moments where like you know you got a song called Winter and I like how kind of patient that is like it's literally telling you to wait as the song itself is waiting and dragging itself out yeah. but I think you use the word limited and I think that's the word to use They were a phenomenal live band uh, what you've got to remember back in sort of 1991 is studio time is expensive, and I think they're a Satanta band. And most of those Satanta albums were done for Nortpence Hapney, and it was like three or four days, but made up of like overnights when no one else was in the studio. And um, they were made just on a shoestring, and I think quite a few of those records suffered because of it, whereas now, of course, you can spend unlimited amount of times really tweaking things at home. Um, they may not have been in the studio before. There wasn't a whole lot of pre-production done. It was just get in there and bang it out. So I, I think maybe they weren't particularly well served by the record. I just remember live, they were so much fun. Yeah, well, very I, intense. I was actually going to say that it's something that I noticed on this, and on a couple of the albums, there's, you know... The best songs are really, really good and they really stand up, you know, like, um, but then on all of these albums, maybe apart from Acting Baby, I suppose, there's just a couple that just either don't really fit the album or it's like you said, they went in and they spent all this money recording so they felt like they had to put mm. 12 tracks in or whatever. But like there's three or four tracks in this that are just, they're doing the thing that happened earlier on, you know, and there's a thing with his voice as well, which is he kind of sings in the same register the whole time. I don't want to be down on the album. I actually think it's really, really good and I recommend it to a couple of people. But I felt like I had to kind of make my own playlist of it. I had to like take off three or four and they're nearly the, the there are three or four songs near the end. But there's a part in um, All Down From Here where he just kind of soars and goes up the octave vocally. And I was like, yes, you know, like. I just that was it just like it got me because it was the first time that it happened you know and um, again I had to kind of listen to it a few times to get there but yeah I think it's a really strong album I think people who like kind it it's a bit U2 without being U2 yeah, there's a bit of a an 80s thing there's a bit of it sounds like early Manic Street Preachers on it there's a bit of that like it's oh, very echo in the bunny man there's a bit of echo it in is the very echo in the bunny man yeah, yeah. yeah totally I don't know uh, yeah so I would say <laughs> this is a really strong album Uh no, hang on, would I say that? Yes, I think it's I, a solid album. It's a solid, yeah. solid <laughs> album. There's nothing wrong with this album. It's just, yeah, because like I, if I exactly sort of the same thing, and I actually I don't didn't think I really, I don't think having listened to it, I don't think I probably gave it enough more of a go to actually get into it in the way you did. So I kind of came away from it feeling like, yeah, that was kind of one long of the sort of same thing, and it was great, and it was grand, and it was fine. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I actually, and, I, li- and I, was li- I was reading. I was listening, see, I didn't listen to it in the bath. I listened to it on the bike. Oh, that was your probably biggest a problem. terrible idea, and probably did it as a service in that in that regard. But oh, the beeping reading- in the, the the second song is excellent. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like the traffic ambience, it's great. Um, but there was one particularly like driving song that was sort of like a really sort of like eighty sort of driving sort of guitar song, and uh, that made me fall off my bike because. I was like too into it because I thought I was the guy in I was the guy in the film, you know, <laughs> on the bike, and this song was playing, and uh, yeah, I hit a hit a pothole. Well, it's weird that you mentioned that plus the Echo and the Bunnyman comparison because I mean, like uh, the Killing Moon opens up Donnie Darko, and that's another film that has this really rich soundtrack, and they're all you know Tears for Fears and that kind of thing on there. So 
I kept listening to this and like imagining some of these tracks going into like Donnie Darko or The Lost Boys or yeah. mm. but then you know obviously the ones that do make it into those films tend to be stronger versions of what's on this record so I think it's a good record I just think that it's a little bit lacking in terms of uh, adventure maybe I think like I, I think it's solid is the right word for it I just think it doesn't quite ever find its own kind of magic it sounds like you know it's so close at, at points it's teasing it like and then it just yeah that's the, the, I I found it hard to kind of yeah it was a bit hard to kind of write to like to get that into words but that's actually really good it's really close to being fantastic and there's a couple of moments as I say the best five six songs in this are brilliant but I think it's nearly because there's three or four songs that are mm. kind of below average I would say on it it nearly brings it down because it happens the bit that happens well if, if, if it had like 200 grand worth of yeah. Alvagee's money like my bloody Valentine and a year and a half to spend on a nighter down getting the perfect sound and sonic teepees and all that kind of stuff they may have made the record that they could have done but I think it, it doesn't really do them any favours compared to those shows interesting you mention about them sort of you know not selling many records back then it really was quite simple there's three ways of, of, of selling records if you're a Satanta and had no budget it was John Peel liking it, or The Enemy, or Melody Maker. And if those three were lukewarm, then commercially you were dead in the water. And that was, I think, with Into Paradise, they were kind of slightly light, but never got somebody championing them. And you needed that to, to, to sort of go from the indie scene to the mainstream back then. That, like, this album was released on uh, Chrysalis, I think, because uh, the, the first album, Under the Water, which I haven't heard, but I will go back to and listen to, um, yeah, led them securing a major deal. So this album was was released with a major. They and I wonder where they, yeah, yeah I wonder where they're playing it safe. I don't know, because it is, there, there is that repetition, or maybe they were, you know, I suppose there's a certain pressure with the major label that oh well they like this about us so let's just keep doing this and we'll you know we'll but although they were they were dropped then and went back to Sedanta so no <laughs> but that's funny because so. I said okay well this sounds like the album before they got it together and the next album would be huge but then we already reviewed the album after this and the album after this is this like album where they're all singing about how they hate each other <laughs> and it's like just sounds like isolation they, had, they went to Cork and recorded this album and they weren't talking to each other and it was just it just sounds like the songs are all like mm. I hate you Steve or whatever you know? <laughs> yeah, it just seems like I mean like it's guilty of making its point and then making the point again in a less yeah. interesting way it's almost as if like if, you, if they had composited some of these songs together they could have found a better kind of A rather than a couple of solid Bs and I mean at the same time it's like they're up against a very high standard and I think it's interesting to hear that like the Melody Maker and Enemy in particular like critics like it had a lot of weight and I think you know if you didn't get past those kind of you know gatekeepers I suppose well then mm. there was going to be another band that did and there were several bands that did so ultimately mm. you can see why it did for them which is a shame because I mean like there's plenty of ambition here but I just don't think it quite gets there mm. but, but yeah but when it hits it's great, and I feel like I can make a really good kind of six-track kind of playlist. I don't, I don't. You should send it to them and see what they think. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, I feel like I was, t- as I said, I was. T- my friend is really into the, you know, he's really into eighties music, whatever. And I was like, oh, he loved this, you know. Sure. And then I was going, oh, he'd hate that, but he loved that, you know. I, 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 did, I did find it quite, um, as I say, when I got, I got into the repetition of it. Yeah, I, I began to question it a bit. To be fair, I mean, like if you're looking at it through like a 2017 lens, even coming away, with, if you think half of the record is strong, that is a recommend of sorts. I know some people would say, well, oh, it totally isn't, Dave. But I think, you know, it's a, the way we consume music is changing all the time. Mm-hmm. And it, it's you got to be good quickly. So, well, on that note, what I would say is, while Into Paradise might not still be going along today, the frames are... And if you are a fan of the frames or someone who came to them recently and you're looking for their debut album, you might have some trouble tracking it down. Let's have a taste of what it sounds like.
that's the dancer by the frames is the opening track of another love song their debut record out of print since around 2002 apparently and yeah difficult to track down online so uh, i think this one though could remain that way for a lot of people i i think this is for the diehards i mean like this is a bit of a mixed bag it's very I, i've talked before on the revis about frames albums and i feel you know full disclosure the frames they're a bit of a hard sell for me, but I was won over, you know, when we did Dance the Devil. Dance the Devil. Like that was, I thought that was the best record we did, so I can be won over. My cynicism can be melted away. But I do think with this, like, there's, it's very in debt to, like, Tom Petty and, like, the like, great Tom Petty. Yeah. And, like, just that kind of, like, barroom stuff as well here and there. Like, this just sounds like a, a band and eager to make an impression. And to be fair, I mean, I believe the backstory is that Glenn Hansard, like, sent out a bunch of demos when he was a teenager and got signed. And then essentially yeah. it was like, I better put a band together now. So this record kind of comes out and they're not properly fully formed. The songs don't feel fully formed. They don't feel, you know, I know they're young lads giving it a go, but there's a ramshackle sensibility throughout with this record that I just think, yeah. I mean, I don't even think it necessarily speaks to what's to come. Do you? I, I slightly disagree with that. I think that um, there's lots of stuff on it that I, I think, I think it does hang together very well. I think that it is a thing that I th- I think it's all it sounds like it was recorded over like you know 3 days and they used all the same instruments and guitar tunings and you know sounds and I think it it does but the thing was what what it is I don't think it's uh, I think it's very embryonic frames you know like I think where the frames are best for me is where the band are being really interesting really creative and it's kind of working together when I think it isn't working as well for me again and a lot of people totally disagree with this is when it's very uh, Glenn on his own kind of doing his kind of whispering at you sort of thing you know um, that's for me. That's not where it works. And it's funny. I can hear a lot more th- the things that you can take. Let me see. I get this right. <laughs> the things that are for, are kind of more formed is that. Like, there's a couple of songs on on the album that sound a bit like that later on. You know, like there's a song called Telegraph Poles, and um, he's talking about there was a a guy got killed, and you know, and I said, I was up on Telegraph Pole, but don't touch the top of the Telegraph Pole, you know. And I was kind of going, that sounds like something that happens a lot later on. But the stuff that, the rest of the album, is quite American, sounds like the Spin Doctors, you know, the Spin (laughs) Doctors. (laughs) And it sounds like Blind Melon at times, and it also sounds a bit like Hot Ice Flowers, but I don't think that suits, that that stuff didn't carry on, do you know what I mean? There was Mm. a bit of the big music and the raggle-taggle thing. Um, a lot of Frames fans were horrified and actually left the fog when Noreen left the yeah. sort of original, sort of, well, backing singer, co-singer on some tunes. Well, she sings really well and, and um, uh, they sing really well together in a song called Belong, is it Belong to You, I think it's called. Yeah. And it's like, that's, I'm like, that's, that's, a, that's a sound that they never developed, you know. Like, that would really it's interesting because it did make the band less blokey. I'm not saying they're out and out sort of misogynist later on, you know, but there was much more of a sort of a, you know, sort of a, a female sort of vibe about the band. Then a couple of full starts with Island Records and then a disaster with ZTT. And for years, Glenn was that perennial underdog. And I don't think he, he liked it very much. I, I, I detected a bitterness actually with Glenn that when he'd sold records, and I, I love the guy, he's a really nice bloke, but for so long, people were saying, oh, it's great, it's great, but he couldn't, and he, and he wanted the recognition, and I think actually fame sits quite comfortably on his shoulders, and he didn't really like being a critic's darling, he wanted to also be recognised by his peers and overseas. Yeah, I mean, in that regard, I mean, like, do you, like, like hear 
the beginnings of that, like with this record. I mean, like, because like, like, do you think he sounds angry on this record in particular, or even like, like, like bitter? Because I mean, it just, I, 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 there's a very young spirit here, but I don't know if it's actually channeled in, in any focused direction. These just sound like rock songs, like for me. That they don't sound like they're really about anything. I know you were saying, Karen, that you know there is the attempt at the storyteller in there and some of them, but I just, yeah. I just found it very samey. I found it very kind of just like straightforward. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, there's there's a couple of songs. A song called Martha and a song called Right Road. A song called The Waltz, and then there's a song called Another Love Song, and they just kind of straight out of the blocks, you know. And I, I, they're upbeat, you know, pop rock with a bit of their, you know, a bit of trad in there, a little bit of fraggle taggle, a bit of whatever. And yeah, it just it just doesn't um, it. I doesn't sound like them because it's you, you know you've got seven albums from the frames, so you know what the, when the frames are doing what they do best, you know what, the, what they're kind of sound like. And this doesn't really sound like them, so it's a kind of a curious one. But actually, there's a couple of songs. A song called "Picture of Love," which is uh, which is it seems to be just out of nowhere on it. It's, I think it's an excellent song, and it really shows where they went later on with uh, with Dance of the Devil and all that kind of stuff. You know, so they're like. They're getting there, you know, but it's a very different lineup. There's no, there's only two members of the band, Colm and and uh, and Glenn, who who went on to stay in the band. As I say, Noreen left, and I think various other people that were. John Carney was playing bass, I think, at the time, and he left as well. So it is a very kind of different um, sort of lineup. And yeah, it's like you said, it's like it's like that. It does. I believe that story. So he sent it a lot of demos. I had to put band together. Like I, I it kind of it sounds like that. Story. It does sound like a hodgepodge of influences that he hadn't quite worked out his own voice it was a bit of this and a bit of that i think he was in love with the, well obviously still is americana um there were fiddles involved which is always a bad thing as far as <laughs> I'm concerned. but um i think if you're a fan you can track it down it's interesting because you will pick out oh that's a bit like whatever you know it, it's important i think in, in the evolution of the band the compare and contrast thing yeah. yeah yeah but like even the evolution of a band like i mean that's the whole thing it's like it's almost in reverse like i mean there's a band that can be together for four or five years they get their break their first album is of course all the songs they've written together they all know in between at the back of their hand but this was the opposite this was a guy who had to like all of a sudden be like oh okay I'm signed now and I better like get the right people in to make it work so I mean like in that regard it's difficult to even critique it too heavily because you're like well look it was learned by doing I mean like it, it, it seems like you know this is like an, an act where the education is on record and I think in that regard you can't go too hard on it but I think especially again going back to that 2017 lens which I know you know it's what we're doing so it's yeah, even production-wise, it's very tinny. It's very kind of just yeah. like, yeah, I mean... It's it, much, much more... I think it's a curio. I think if you're a fan of the frames, get it, you know, like, have it. But, like, it's at the same time... the sound of a band trying to find themselves. And it's very, like, some of the sonic elements are so disparate. It's like, you know, glad, or they're throwing stuff at a wall and seeing what will stick. But, um, and it's interesting that the next album, like, it took four years for Fitzcarraldo, and that's such a different record. Well, this is—I think it's really kind of admirable that you know they had this false start because, like, Glenn sounds like he's really American in some of the songs, mm-hmm. like a real twang on them, you know. And uh, you know, it's less earnest; it's much more band-related. You know, it's much more throwaway. So, like a lot of stuff. The video for the dancer is this the ninth, the most ninetyest, ninetiesest video you've ever seen. It's like the camera, you know, going around the band, zooming in, zooming out. They're all looking at the camera, kind of, it's just like, uh, I can't, you know, I just, it's so far away from what they would do now, you know what I mean? Like, it, it just seems like a different personality, you know, at that point. So, I think, yeah, like, I mean, it's a weird one because it is so overshadowed on this list by the other bands, but it is something, like, to check out, I think. I think I would say go and have a listen to it because 
That song, as I said, be- Belong to You, I think it's called, and Picture of Love, they're really, really strong. And it just it just happens that, there again, there's a lot of kind of false starty kind of stuff. But, like, I think still you can hear that he's trying to do something different with vocals. Like, his, while I don't think any of the songs are, like, have incredible lyrics not that they're bad but you know he's definitely trying you know he's you can see that his his kind of spirit is already there that thing of the storyteller the the kind of descriptive he's very descriptive in his lyrics and stuff and he's setting scenes and stuff and there's a lot of that already beginning but it is very embryonic yeah, I mean, even the cover art is, you know, bizarre. It's like mm. an apple yeah. with a bunch of studded nails through it. Like, But the gay, there was a thing, the, one of the few things I found online, and I honestly found so little about this online, was that at, at their launch gig, everyone that came in got an apple. And uh, one of the guys, <laughs> one of the guys, he said during the thing, people were throwing the apples at each other. At the <laughs> gig, you know? I, I do remember those early gigs in places like Whelan's, and, and straight away he did inspire just this incredible adulation there was apples but also people would bring sandwiches to swap and they would plan <laughs> what obviously yeah yeah they'd be sat sort of cross-legged between sets like swapping sandwiches and sort of chatting and they'd meet up and obviously well the web was just starting but it was like sort of the, the, the bush wire around dublin they're real sort of social occasions the amount of people i know who met sort of wives and had relationships through that frames family so uh, again it's all a bit blurry but i remember him being straight away even from the start even though the music was a bit all over the place he did have a sort of a real charisma raw charisma Mm -hmm. that people sort of like took notice of in dublin but nowhere else it didn't expand at all didn't seem to Uh, as i say i mean i think island records was still kind of searching for another U2. There was still that fag end of bands being signed and they're not really too sure what they were. But we better sign an Irish band and I suppose probably the Waterboys were having their moment in the sun and it was all a bit kind of, you know, that style of thing. But Ireland just seemed to lose interest and ZTT really when they took, you know, took them over, didn't know what to do with them. Yeah, I, I guess that kind of communal thing is one of the reasons why people go to see Glenn Hansard and they go to those four-hour gigs that he plays every year. Like for some people, like that's like the greatest night out of all time. For me, I couldn't possibly. Yeah, you, you'd love, you'd love. I to couldn't do, do it, man. I, I, I wouldn't be able to get through it because Glenn I, I, came in here now and sang for four hours. You wouldn't like that. As no, I wouldn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, I really, really wouldn't. So I'd be like, it's okay, Glenn, take the night off, please. But uh, but I know people who go to those gigs every year, and and they they, they and there's they, nothing wrong with them, Dave. Is there? <laughs> no, no, this is what I'm saying. I mean, like it's like like it takes all kinds here no but it's like but people are like, are like they scramble for tickets to those gigs whereas to me i'm just like jesus really but well like, you, you can see why though for sure you, you know yeah, like yeah. You, you can definitely tell. there's a cult never, here I yeah think, like i've know. never been that big into the frames and I, but i know lots of people who are big into the frames and they go all in on that and i can totally see why there's definitely sort of like a they're kind of a band you can really sort of get into and be a part of i was That's a cult really nice. member around really, for yeah. the birds i was obsessed um, and yeah, no, there was that. It was like a religious experience going to a frames gig, and then I snapped out of it somewhere along the line. <laughs> and now like I enjoy cult. them in a you know in a casual manner, but I'm not uh, I'm not a cult member anymore. Fair enough. Uh, well, anyway, on that note, uh, I, it's funny because I was thinking when, she, when you were like, people met their wives there, I was just thinking, Jesus, really? Well, like, they're people's wives. He's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, they were married on mass there. You know? <laughs> I was like, I was like, this just sounds like you know, absolutely bizarre. But uh, <laughs> they were swapping sandwiches. That part, I just, I would never I give anyone. My, I don't want someone else's sandwiches. sandwiches. Right. That's that's you the ultimate the trust. Ham, I'll bring the salad. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's the ultimate trust, man. I got a fucking pickle and peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> you go into me this. Steve, was that you? If you go into a deli tomorrow when you order food off someone like you're, you know, you're putting your life in their hands so it's the same thing mm. with Glenn Hansard shouting at you in the corner 
<laughs> that is a whisper to a scream. I love it. I got a surreal, surreal that could get. <laughs> okay, well, let's... Hansards. Shall we move on? Yeah. <laughs> okay, our next record is by a house. This song is called Endless Art. 1963-1631 So that's from I Am The Greatest by A House Roisin Dwyer what does yes. this record mean to you? I love this record. Um, this is the third album by Our House, a band from Dublin, uh, led by the genius that is Dave Kouse. Um, it was preceded by 1988's Our Big Fat Merry-Go-Round and 1990's I Want Too Much. The album actually came from two EPs, uh, Doodle and Bingo, and the song that made Our House and is most closely associated with them, Endless Art, was uh, featured on the latter and uh, was released on Satanta. Um, and unfortunately at the time the song was extremely popular but uh, Satanta um, were quite low on cash I think Keith Cullen had to borrow money to fund the recording of the song and uh, there weren't enough copies in the shops so um, like the song sold out but it didn't uh, do what it should have done and by the time uh, Parlophone stepped in to take over distribution and uh, they did redistribute I think something like 50,000 copies it all obviously the, the, the window of opportunity had gone so it's such, so, such a pain yes that's why you signed to a label oh. yeah but yeah. I mean it's so yeah as, so annoying, as, like, as Stuart pointed out earlier you know our house could be doing their you know five night run in Crow they were Park. on standby for Top of the Pops if it had gone up one place they'd have been on but it went down one place because there weren't enough records in the shops and is that therein true? that they're is actually true wow. and therein oh, is what did for a house commercially I was talking earlier about the Satanta stable and you know there was this council house in Tottenham that the junior Satanta bands had to stay in and get their dole every two weeks and go to B-Jams and buy 100 sausage rolls for 150 And you'd be in this 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 absolute hovel and the doorbell would ring and it'd be Cahill Coughlin with a keyboard. There'd be Edwin Collins, who was the honorary member of the London Murphy, who yeah. couldn't shave very well, covered in bits of, sort of plastic over the cuts. Um, he'd come round, the Franken Waters. He's painting George, a picture. Sean <laughs> Hughes calling around one mm. night. Uh, Neil Hannon, who was painfully shy and was teased all the time when he first joined Satanta. I mean, it was really us against the world. And, and, and Keith Cullen, who actually now takes care of my buddy Valentine's digital releases. I mean, how he kept that show on the road, I don't know. There was a few stunts pulled. It was very... And there should be, like, a much bigger... There has been, like, a documentary, I think. There should be a yeah. bigger one, because it's, it's a wonderful human interest story. Is Keith Cullen Irish? Keith is is, is Irish. Coo Cullen, hence yes. Satanta Records. Oh, right, OK. But, but left feeling a bit aggrieved with the likes of Hot Press. As indeed did <laughs> the Frank and Waters and Solomon's of Ping, because they got the recognition, really, through the enemy of Melody Mate before they yeah. did us and uh, we, 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 we've made it up we've kissed and hugged and well this record things. was very well received in Hot Press and like, I think one of the quotes is that like 
uh, a house or the finest band Ireland has produced and they're deserving of a statue on O'Connell Street. Yeah, eventually. No, yes. I think a house... That was from Lorraine Freeney's review in yeah. 1991. Actually, Edwin Collins produced Endless Art, the, the song. Um, and this, al- like, this album, and we've discussed this earlier about the length of albums, 16 tracks. Um, it is brilliant, but it maybe could do with a little bit of pruning. But it's just, I love Dave Kouse's worldview. He's so cynical, you know, so satirical, uh, very humorous and has the ability also to be amazingly personal and uh, personal, like there's yeah. you know like I Am Afraid the song like, that's just a wonderful you know the lyrics are just a fantastic way of you know capturing the frailties of the human condition and there's a song called When I First Saw You and it's so stark and austere and sonically dark and really communicates that desperate longing you know that love can can throw up and uh, then of course there is you know Endless Art the song itself which if you're uh, you know obviously the the spoken word lyrics and that's repeated again on um, Live Life Dead Died also has spoken word verses but uh, and then you've stuff like Take It Easy On Me you know the second uh, second best known song from the album I suppose which is you know great upbeat indie sunny melodies but uh, yeah this is just a fantastic collection of songs well, they got Hassel and they friendless art just mentioning blokes yes and then they did. did a female version which was, was nice yeah I think they said something some facetious excuse about thinking Jean Miro was a was a woman <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny it's funny that was the, that could be a mistake that he would have you know thing that he names off the, the greatest artists of all time and never mentions a woman like you know whether you do it on purpose or you do it by accident, you're still saying something by definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But and it's interesting, this was their third album and they did expand the lineup with um the vocalist uh, Susan Kavanagh and Dave Morrissey on keyboards. So uh, yeah, album number three, this was obviously their you know, they're coming into their stride and Dave Kaus was obviously, you know, broadening his sonic palette. Um and you can hear that in all the songs. It's just fearless. It's, it's a great He record. was wonderfully prickly to interview. Like, he'd go and tell you to F off. And I like that. Rather than being bland, there's a lot of blandness now because people have been media trained. Media trained yeah. I don't think Dave Cass was ever media <laughs> trained. In, wasn't trained in any... No. He he had a, a roughness and an abruptness. And he's actually a, a very sweet guy. I think a lot of it was shyness. Um, but, but I liked his attitude. It was nice. It was refreshing. I, I, I think... Um uh, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we brace ourselves. No, I, I, I actually. The thing is that, that this was always an album that was, you know, this this is one of the greatest albums of all time. This is one of the most underrated Irish albums ever released. This should have been the biggest album, you know. So I came into this album with expectations. Obviously, I heard I had heard a couple of songs already, and um, the first thing that, that I got out of it is just it's just so da- it's like Dave Kaus's. This is the Dave Kaus show. Yeah. Here I come with all my opinions. And, mm. it, you know, that's really cool. And I don't think... I was listening and I was thinking, would I be able to be this open? Because, like, there's some mad... Like, there's lines in it, like, I don't ever want to have kids. And I was like, yeah. okay, well, if that's true, like, you know, I, like, I don't know. It's just it's almost as an, an entire... Everything that was in his brain goes into mm-hmm. the thing. And, and there's something really, really brave and brilliant and honest and different about it. And I really, really respect that. Mm. Um, and in the, the song "I Am the Greatest," he just goes on a sort of a rant about the music industry. And what? I was like, "That was 1991." Mm. And I was like, what "Fair would play that to him that he's doing like that. today." But, but I don't really like. I, I was just thinking, like, you know, I'm in a band and I'm not a super millionaire. Um, 
just a normal millionaire. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? I, like, I mean, I'm sure that there's stuff that I think about the fact that you know uh, my art hasn't made me billions. But I don't know if I like, like you know, there's a million bands. You know, I'm, it's a pleasure to do it, and, and I kind of was kind of going. I don't know if I, I. I don't agree with that worldview, and the worldview was so strong. Like he's really saying it that I kind of was like, you know, that just makes me kind of think you, like, you're not entitled to success, you know. And I, I and I kind of, I just, I kind of just, I cut, thought it was a little bit overly cynical. Like I don't, like I don't need to hear all the shit that you're you're pissed off about, you know. Mm, mm. But you know, at the same time, I really respected that he did it. I, but it just wouldn't be me, you know. And I don't think that's I, I don't know I, you know and I kind of it kind of made me kind of kind of it just turned me off some aspects of it. Mm. But then, as I say, like I think there's enormous creativity there. I think Ennis Art is, is I think it's a new way of writing a song in the world, and mm. he did it. You know, yeah. I, I haven't heard that before. And the way that he has just single words, like mm. shouting words in there, love lost, die, dead yeah. died. Like I was like, that's cool. I didn't love the song, but I was like, it's a, it's a new idea, and it's it's like if you can have one kind of a new idea on an album you've done well and he, he like just three or four in this like which is just amazing it yeah. was great in 1991 to hear an Irish band that sounded nothing nothing like you 2 because everyone had a bit yeah. of you 2 at the time that's so a really good that point. was actually great when you're just going oh no please stop it stadiums mm. I know they're great but please and, and they just didn't really seem too bothered about stadiums I think Ennis Art is fucking unreal. Sorry, you were going to... No, no, I, I, was, I was pretty much just going to echo kind of what Kieran was saying there. Like, uh, it, it's so of uh, his personality and that is so not my personality. And <laughs> I just, I just, I think when I was listening, I just was not in the mood for that. And I, I kind of found it, yeah, just a little bit jarring. And, and, and like, that, you know, like, he's, uh, this is him making his album and he's enjoying it and that's great and all that but I, th- I did find it a bit much sometimes and a bit sort of like so yeah and again and again and again this sort of like really sort of uh, sort of cynical opinion and lo- there were lots of funny stuff bits yeah. in there and stuff like that but it's, uh, yeah it, was, it wasn't for me anyway. Is that the reason why they're, you know, h- held up with such kind of respect by critics. I mean, like, Tony Tate and Lee in the Irish Times when they did their poll in 2008, which this came the third of best Irish albums of all time, he said, uh, some would say A House were the best Irish band of the past 30 years, surpassing the usual suspects list by virtue of their uncompromising nature, provocative lyrical stance, and perversely discordant approach. But, like... Is that good does, enough? Does that translate into <laughs> Joe Public? Do you know what I mean? Like, is that, like... W- w- was that a stopping I, I do suspect if they sold a million records, they'd be number 14, number three. There's a little bit of that stamp mm. collector They're thing. rebellious. Band like, didn't yeah. quite make it, and that makes them seem a bit more romantic at distance. And I feel but like band, critics almost, could be like, I could be in that band. Do you know what I mean? Ev- like, almost every band ends in either failure or success that destroys the band. You know, I mean, mm. do, do you know what I mean? That's that's the reality of, of being an artist. 90% of footballers never play in the Premier League, or 90%, like, sorry, I mean, you know, like a million percent, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but joking aside, like, um, you, you know, that's that's the way it is. Like, you make, you, like, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not making music to be a millionaire and I I don't deserve to be you know it doesn't work like that mm. but I, I also I, I just kind of feel like a lot of this I just it's because it's so him it's really admirable but also it is just a little bit it's a re- like it's a perfectly valid point of view but if if you if that point of view sort of jars with you then this album will jar with yeah, you yeah yeah it's mm. kind of a little bit jarring because it's so it's so singular, you yeah. know. It's a bit of a Marmite record, it is. Yeah, but you know something. But I, the thing about it is, I like, 
I think it's really personal. I think he lays himself bare throughout it. And it's, you know, it's, I think it's, I said Adam about five times. I'm going to say it again. <laughs> it's, I, I, admi- I admire that, you know, and it's like, oh, it's, it's, it really is both great for that and also difficult for that. Mm. And so I could see how people would lap it up. And, you know, this is one of those albums that probably, for me, I never saw them live. They'd, they'd, they were broken up, you know, well before I was kind of going to see gigs or whatever, I think. But, um, you know, so it's not the kind of thing where I was, um, you know, maybe that, that, that live thing, like there's a, you know, I can imagine him commanding a room, you know. It was pretty common back then for bands to be far better live than in the studio, yeah, of course, partly yeah. for what I was talking about earlier. Um, just people didn't record as much. And it was, a, you know, you hear it so often, oh, it's not quite what they put across on stage. I, th- I think they matched it pretty well, actually, the intensity and the, 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 the spikiness. But for a lot of records back then, there was a, a difficult thing in translating from, from the stage. How did this album do outside of Ireland? I think it was like, was it number sort of 41 or something in the Mm. UK? It kind of nearly, nearly did it. I think the Top of the Pops thing was was part of the reason that it didn't quite cross over. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. I can totally understand why he's like throwing his pen at the wall (laughs) every time he tries to write a song. Waiting for the midweeks. Come on, come on. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's tough as well, but... You know, I mean, it, like he was lucky enough to. He, I think they made another three albums after this, so he still got to be able to create, get right, you know, write music and all the rest. So that's kind of great. Is this the standard Our House record version for someone who's never heard them before? Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, no, it's just head and shoulders above the rest. I am. Um, I still. I do love it. I think sixteen songs is a little overly long. I'd probably cut out. Actually, I don't know what one I'd cut out. Um, I've got a few here. <laughs> maybe <laughs> Creatures of Craze and or Cotton Pickers. Oh, yeah. Cotton Pickers is one of my favourites. I like oh, Cotton well, Pickers because it had like never it had shall fight to the yeah. death, Kieran. No, but the thing yeah. is that like sometimes I I really like the songs where it was more about the band and more about the melody than more about the 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 delivery and the personality. I just f- I connected with those. So like for example, I wanted too much is a great got a great melody. Yeah, you know, and the start obviously not a great melody, but an amazing kind of like creative kind of delivery and I like mm. I found myself listening and then I was doing I was listening to it and I was kind of going oh what age is he Eight, 19, uh, 1984 to, to, and I was trying yeah, to do the, trying yeah, to work yeah, out yeah, oh he yeah. was very young you yeah know? yeah sure. I was really into it like yeah. you know yeah. like as like a brain pre- training yeah <laughs> in the bath again was it in the bath yeah, yeah. There, there was a, there's a song on it called sorry this is, is going to be a tangent but um, there was a song the song on it called You're Too Young yeah. and that reminded me of, the, of one of the strangest gig um, experiences I ever had um, I went a few years ago I went I got free tickets to go see Joe Jackson play and I was just like oh I'll go see Joe Jackson in Vicar Street there was free tickets why wouldn't you but he was he was um, he was uh, doing this uh, album that seemed to be like a concept album about him being in love with an underage girl and trying to talk himself out of it. <laughs> yeah, all the all the songs were like an awkward age and all these other songs were, and it was just this is what have I walked into? Oh, <laughs> and then dear. he played a few hits at the end and then we just stumbled out and it was really strange. Anyway, that just reminded me of that. <laughs> there is a lot like, avant-garde you, art pop. If you go through yeah, music, there's a lot of songs about girls being too young and things like that. It's just I know that's not what this song is about. Yeah. But uh, just uh, reminded me. Asterix slash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, nonetheless, Stuart earlier on uh, did say, please no more you too. But that's where we're going next. We're going to Octung Baby. This song is called The Fly.
Okay, no, let's come back. In, let's come back in on that, Kieran McGuinness. Uh, the Fly is the worst song in Oxygen Baby. Are you out of your mind? Uh, yes. No. Well, what? No, Show no. your workings here, please. Well, well. Um, it's a banger. Actually, no, no. It's it's a good song. Is thing that is, because actually, the rest of the album is so amazing. The rest of the album is excellent, and it rarely goes wrong. And uh, the Fly is. The fly is in the is in the second half. If there was a league table of, it would be in the relegation zone of the album. Can't believe what I'm hearing. Wow. <laughs> you see, I, I think one U two was fine. Forty five of them not good. Um, famously, uh, in 1989, the point New Year's Eve gig, Bono had said, "We have to go away and dream it all up again." They, they'd done their American thing, perhaps to death, the Joshua Tree and Rattle and Hum. So they decided to make a a European record, and being sort of David Bowie fans, Berlin seemed to be the thing. The wall had come down, I think, two years earlier. I was across about 12 months after it. And there was a, a crazy energy about the city. It was celebratory, but frightened. There was all sorts of emotions. It really was an amazing place to be. They went to Hansa Studios, which is where Heroes was recorded, but was also home to Boney M, who actually just on a tangent, we're doing tangents, Belfast by Boney M. Is that not the strangest record ever? <laughs> I'm not sure anything outstranges Belfast. You know, I mean, they sort of like pain to the, the troubles by these kind of... Have to I, listen to Belfast. Very, <laughs> very. Um, the first single that they were making a statement with the fly, it was sort of dark and industrial. The, 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 the thing we were hearing is you two have gone dance, which actually wasn't the case. What it was with the remixes, which were like Paul Oakenfold and Steve Osborne and Massive Attack and Pete Heller and Dave Morales. And it's one of those records where, following enough, you have to bring in the 12 inch remixes to kind of actually understand the full scope. It was also the bridge that led to Zeropa, which was then being honest to God experimental and was commercially really unsuccessful, which scarred the band forever and stop them ever really going out on a limb. They always say, this is our heavy metal record or our soul record. They make these outlandish claims, and they might start at that point. But by the time they've gone, oh, geez, lucrative Japanese market, and all, you know, they, they pair it back. And I, I still reckon that you 2 if they were just let go, have a really amazing record in them, but it's always just a little bit pulled in. Interesting, by then, you know, Eno and Lanoir were well in, you know, had their feet under the table. At first, Chris Blackwell was horrified by the idea of Eno going anywhere near his cash cow. But it's almost a quasi sort of best of if you look at the, tra- the, the track listing. It, it is amazing. Um, along with the experimentation, you have the big epic U2 song, One. Mm. Uh, it's funny... It's when you see a song meaning a lot to people that you actually sort of realise just how sort of well-crafted it is and then it does its job. And I happened to be in New York about a month after 9-11, and the first band to go in who'd actually go and play were you too. And fair play, and everyone was cancelling, but they said, no, we've got two nights at Madison Square Garden with garbage. And I was there the first night, and they just finished, and they brought on the, the, the heroes, you know, the mm-hmm. police force and the, the first responders, and they did one with just a roll call of the dead behind them. Quite understated for you two. It really was quite pared down. And I have to say, <laughs> I was in floods of tears. So when you see a song connect with an audience, and, you know, so you had that, which was very, very sort of um, anthemic, and then Ultraviolet, Like My Wine, and stuff like that was a little bit more kind of experimental. But as I say, I think you do have to listen to all the peripheral kind of tracks and remixes to understand what they're trying to do. So is this the last? I I always say that Zeropa is, or even maybe Pop. No Pop is like the last kind of interesting U two album because I I fully agree mm. with everything you said there, Stuart. Like 
there is that, well, let's not take off the safety cap too much on this one. And I'm desperate for you two to do songs like The Fly. Uh, you, still you still don't explain why you don't like The Fly, Kieran. <laughs> take, take or leave it, is it? Yeah. Um, There's just yeah. a lot better songs. Like The Fly, you know, someone said, oh, um, hello, I'm from another planet. Play me U2 song. You wouldn't be like, here's The Fly. I'd play them discotheque. Yeah. You'd play them like 40 <laughs> songs before The Fly. I don't have it necessarily against The Fly. It's yeah. just like kind of sounds. Like this is do. a weird song yeah, to be like, oh, like the fly. What a tune! Yeah. Like, I don't you know. like one. Is there something wrong with me? I'm is a cold-hearted bitch. It, is it because? <laughs> is it because? Like is it because it's so oversaturated? Or did you? Did you never connect with it? I like, never connected with it at all. It's just too saccharine. For me, sweet. with or without you, is like the infinitely better version of one. Yeah. Mm. With I, I know one is a really. It's a great. No, song. it's a great song, but I I I don't really connect with it. Uh, whereas with I remember listening to like I think I said on the revisit report, but there was like some kind of you know like multi-day 100 best Irish songs ever on the radio back in the day when you know like tapes off the radio and all that kind of stuff so mm. I was like determined to get to number one <clears throat> and it was with without you and I remember I was like oh really is it okay fine but then I forced myself to sit down with it again and I was like no 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 this is actually a phenomenal song yeah. I think with without you Trent's is one I don't, not to you know like I, I understand where you're coming from Russian yeah. in, in, no, in the, with in the or kind without of you is the song that one wants to be I agree Yeah. I think they exist separately yeah. as well because uh, this again one would have been definitely would have been a song that you, of course you know and you've heard it a billion times but that for actually in the getting ready for this I actually listen, I actually listen to the stuff but um, <laughs> but actually just li- listening to one like with your headphones on is just like amazing it mm. makes you me know, want to vomit a- <laughs> 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 no, please do speak of my version there's actually a really interesting making of documentary from the sky down which I'd forgotten all about I found it on YouTube the other night uh, I don't know if it's still in circulation, but that was was really interesting. Um, we're going to talk about my bloody Valentine a bit more, but you know, Bono did name check Loveless quite a bit in the aftermath. Obviously, you know, it was a record he really liked, and uh, he was in um, his nightclub, the Kitchen, one night, and Weatherall was was DJing, and I remember Bono like leaping up to the the, the booth, and word came back, it asked Weatherall to play some some my bloody Valentine. So that's perhaps where his head was or, or trying to be at at the time. Yeah, I mean, like, Zoo Station seems a bit like an outlier in a way. I mean, like, it starts off and it kind of has that, like, discordant thing about it, even the way it's produced, even the way the vocals, like, if they wrap around on earphones, like, he's kind of here and then he's there. But then by the end of it, it's a bit conventional. And then, of course, even better than anything, which is still in that kind of mode. I mean, I, I love you 2 when they're more outlandish. I love them when oh, they're like, unafraid. Absolutely. There's a swagger to this album, which is just, uh, like... It's just excellent, you know. But I, I went and I did made the mistake of researching. I should never have done it. I researched the album, and when I started getting into learning about how it was built, and you know, reading like various articles on it, then I started getting into that thing of like, I always think that you, and like, I don't know if I'm wrong or not, but I always think that you two are like super self-aware and careful about everything so uh, they had this thing where they had a, a list of keywords the album has to be trashy throwaway dark sexy and industrial it must not be earnest polite sweet righteous rockist or linear and I remember th- reading that going like I would so love to be able <laughs> to be given the leeway that I could go and spend whatever money I had and record an album where I had like keywords as the you, that's you know, so strange. It's like that's like a brand meeting. It's like a brand meeting. It's so it's so weird. Like you know, and it's like I don't know. It's amazing. Like I, I mean, I don't know. It's just the ability to go and say we need to completely reinvent ourselves. We've done. You know, we got a really bad reaction to our, our uh, earnest American kind of rat and hunting, and now we need to kind of 
embrace the Madchester scene. We need to embrace the new happy kind of uh, acid kind of feeling, you know. We need to go to be cool and be London and, and be kind of ironic uh, with our with our stage and all the rest. Like, you know, and I don't, I, I hate that. I hate the sound of all that. It makes me just, it just seems like it's, Built in some but way, but you too isn't it's an, it's an entity. It's a corporate but the other thing about it well. is, is that if but the other thing is contrived sort of yes. Yeah. That but the fact is that they have never been able to do that again. Mm. So so the next time they didn't sit down and go right now let's make they couldn't do it. So actually, what this then if you strip that away, you realise that this is just a band, you know, writing a great it album. Like they, they they achieved this despite all that rather than because exactly, of it. and they've probably done that every album since, but the album hasn't been. Yeah. As good. But this was also on this album. Well, Zoo Station actually encapsulates that. It starts off being really very interesting, and as you say, it then sort of just oh Jesus, Brian, we're going a bit too <laughs> left to centre here, mate. Can we pull it back in? And within the four minutes or so, however long it is, four minutes thirty six seconds, it goes back to almost conventional U two. Having started off as something, you're going wow. But that's, is, that, that's that's the interesting thing about this. There is a very good mix of like like mysterious ways and who's going to ride your wild horses are just like absolute towers. They're just incredible mm. songs. And um, again, listen to them on headphones. You know, just having them up loud. The sounds are brilliant. Like I never would never associate you two with having amazing sounds. But in that period, from this up to pop and including passengers, there were so many ideas going on. There were so many sounds. The drums are just sound brilliant. Bono's vocal sounds different in almost every track, which, which is uh, brilliant. And there's a bit where he just really lets go. And who's gonna like? I love that. I love when it feels like they're just singing because they're in it and it's their soul. You know and you can't really fake that and you I, get that on uh, Love is Bind as well I think like like he's particularly incensed by something like mm. he's spiritual he's passionate like you know it's it's a for he's Bono possessed by yeah, the song for Bono yeah. it's, it, it feels very like theatrical but also not not contrived I, but, I, but that's, I, it, that's, that's the thing I, yeah that's it, the thing like, it's a rarity it, it seems like thing. if you go into it it seems very contrived but when you listen to the album it sounds mm. so free and so like I hate using the word and I'm going to regret saying it and probably edit it out but it's like it's like sexy, you know. <laughs> I, I think the I songs are that. written very. <laughs> I think the songs are written very honestly. And I'm not saying they're being dishonest in the studio, but I, I do think it comes from a raw emotion rather than some contrivance. But then too many people probably get involved in the creative process, and it maybe gets diluted, or they're trying to make sort of different people happy. I just get this idea that it ends up being a bit too much by committee, an original idea by then getting tweaked. But I, I, my theory is that all U2 albums are like that. But what happens is, accidentally, they write amazing albums every now and again, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's just the way they are. Some bands are like that, you know? Like, I can't imagine there was, like, production meetings with Our House where they sat around deciding as a band what should happen, what direction they should go. I think he just came in and went, here's my 20 yeah. songs. <clears throat> Whichever best ones will go on, you know? Trashy, industrial, dark, sexy. Like. No, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's you know said I mean? at a fairly early point in their career when the, the head honcho, Chris Blackwell, came in and said, look, yeah, I'm really not keen on, on, on Eno. They went, well, if you're not keen, we're not making the record. That seems to be the subtext. So actually, you know, in some respects, I'm contradicting myself, that they were able to kind of tell people to sort of butt out. I think it's probably within the four of them, though. So much of this record yeah. is Lanwall and Eno together, the occasional Steve Lillywhite cameo. Um, I mean, I think like nowadays when they're working with Danger Mouse, like I think Danger Mouse is the most hilariously 
uh, contradictory name of all time because this stuff is like so fucking safe. So it's like <laughs> I, I, he, he is like yeah, the, he's the industry standard. Like you know, called, called danger mess. But, the, but they're <laughs> the industry. In here. But they're the industry. No, I mean like I know like, I was reading Hotpress.com today and like you're talking about the new YouTube record which is coming in December apparently, and I want to be excited about it, but I'm not because mm. I've heard three of the songs and uh, with the exception of one of them which sounded it was a live take in particular, but like it just sounds like yeah, I mean let's just keep the audience happy. Whereas back in '91. I, I know you were saying, Stuart, like, you know, people were kind of being like, oh, it's getting a bit American, lads, it's getting a bit earnest. But they took a risk, I think, with this. Well, also, I agree, but again, I'm contradicting myself again, because they took a risk, but also, did they take a risk? No, because they, they did. They took this a is risk so well... At, no, they took a risk at their peak, and they, they, they bet on themselves, I think. And I think that's incredibly admirable. And it gave them... You two are the band be, uh, that they are because of that. They changed direction, like they did. Mm. They made a conscious decision, and they went for something. And it gave them the next three albums. They went in the same path for the next three albums. And then they had to, they had to re-kind of calibrate again. And the recalibration after that, the kind of 2000 to now, and I just don't think it has been as successful. I don't think, I think they've, they've, they've gone safer. I, I don't what, know. Like, I mean, for, uh, what I, change could they make? Like they've done punk, post-punk. They've done, you know, rock and roll, country and pop, dance. Well, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, but the, the direction <clears throat> matters less than the quality, you know. Like, yeah. you know, and the thing is that, you know, there was a lot of talk around that album, all that you can't leave behind, um, and that seemed to be a very, mm. you know, uh, okay. I don't want to call them cynical because I think they're, I think like some of the, like this is an amazing album, and it's, it feels unfair to be talking negatively about you two. Is it, two, well, as is it smart? Album. A better word, like like knowing your audience writing like to that way. I mean, like you're kind of saying earlier on, like sounds like a brand, like it does, yeah. like sounds like. There, of course, you two have strategy meetings for their record. They probably invented. It's, I the think thing. it's unreasonable to expect anything else at this yeah, point. Totally. It's, like, really? it's like Noel Gallagher said that um, they play with you two, and you two watched a video of their concert after they got off stage, and Noel Gallagher said they were pricks, <laughs> 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 pricks or something like because they did that. And I think, yeah, I just, I just, I, I, I kind of, as I said to myself, don't go. I don't want to go researching. It's meticulous. It. Yeah, I don't yeah, want to know. You shouldn't have. I, yeah, but you know, <laughs> the point is, like this album, we should be talking about the absolute. This is like an incredibly good album yeah. like, this is like it stands above almost everything that you went to like even the albums this year you know it's better than you know the Red Hot Chili Peppers and, and you know it's better than Guns N' Roses and Anything's blah blah better than the Red Hot Chili Peppers <laughs> but you, you know, know what I mean you can go through the whole list like. a great example of is sequencing an album of two sides with highs and middles mm. and you, know, you, you can tell they sat down as a group and really worked out how they were going to sort of you know, structure it and, and it's one of those records you just have to listen from start to finish mm. with what was it was so cruel the end of side I can't quite remember but actually have a, like a tea break or at least like you know sort of simulate turning over a record for 45 seconds give yourself a little break and listen to it as a body of work because it stands up brilliantly as a body of work mm. no it absolutely does Yep, it's fair enough. Um, well, we're going to talk about process in a moment quite a lot, Kieran, so <laughs> I apologise because the next record Rock. on our list is all about that. But before we move off, you two, is there anything to be said as a final word for Octon Baby in 2017? It stands up. Yeah, I think yeah. it does stand up. Mm. Like, I mean, I, I think it is. Like, it, It's not my favourite YouTube record, but I think it's definitely one to... You know, and and you're right about The Fly being the best song. My favourite YouTube <laughs> record. Um, I'm looking at you, Kira. I mean... <laughs> the most divisive song, definitely. I thought it was pop, but I don't... I mean, like, I, I, it's because I, I really like that style of YouTube. I like them... Like, I, I forgive their failings a lot more when they're really going yeah. full-on 
to the you know to like the weird zone because my, my favorite YouTube song is fucking Homie Throw Me Kiss Me Kill Me so <laughs> which I think is still amazing and I'm just like which more of that a kind of a brother of the fly I would say see there you go yeah and discotheque I, I wasn't even getting them discotheque's amazing a discotheque's brilliant like when you two are being a bit weird and a bit alternative there a bit you go edgy, that's what I want they're absolutely like they're just few better because they they have an inherent an inherent kind of sense of melody that never leaves them so they never go too far away from something that like is is like good to listen to. That's know? why I feel now it's like you've got you've nothing to lose. My biggest interview faux pas there've been many was Bono asked me one day your favorite U two songs quick quick don't think I went oh the Wanderer and Numb and I realised he doesn't <laughs> sing on either of them he didn't look very pleased. How did this, when did this conversation happen? This was in Hanover Key. He just um, leaned over and went. <laughs> you seriously we, we, we just finished and he said to me what are you doing it's about sort of 10 to 7 I said well I'm off to see Emmerdale he said oh if you can put Emmerdale on hold he said do you want to come upstairs and see us like, see how we're getting on so I walked upstairs and there's the band and Joe and I sat there for 45 minutes private U2 gig kind of going this is a bit strange it was pretty impressive when was this was this around this time um, no this was about uh, 10 was years ago was it for ago. Hedge Dismantling Thomas yeah. Bomb yeah yeah, yeah. And were, you like, then. were you on, on like your phone watching don't think I, no, I remember <laughs> I remember the conversation in my office before you went down I wasn't on this thing I, called I, the I Twitter like, at the what? time you know what what can I ask them and I and the Lewis had just come and I was like ask him what he thinks yeah. of the Lewis and then that was the headline you know if I was going to be killed by any mode of public transport it, it would, would be, be the Lewis, Lewis. Yes. <laughs> field day for the strategy meetings at the Lewis that day. Yeah. <laughs> I remember um, uh, I think Olaf Tyronson was incredibly busy flying back from interviewing them perhaps and I transcribed his interview with them when he interviewed them on a plane yeah. this was about three years ago I want to say yes, yeah, yeah. it was a two hour long interview and I like I took a day to transcribe but it was fascinating hearing it and like after two hours of interviewing all four members separately it ends where like he's clearly like off the runway and he's either in a car or something with Bono and people are trying to rush Bono along but Bono's like finishing his point point. Mm. and then after two hours of talking to all of you two like the last thing you hear on the tape and I transcribed this out as well is after Bono wraps up his elegantly profound Bono point at the end he goes to Olaf he goes so anyway how are you and I thought that's fucking incredible I was like because he's the act is gone and now he's just being a guy and I was like I can't wait to, to read Olaf's piece because I know he's going to open with that thing and of course I, he didn't make it into the interview and I was like <laughs> it's this human moment it's amazing yeah. it's off the record Dave off the record. I, I don't know whether it's an important how are you? point <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know whether it's an important point or not his sort of state of mind what, what he thinks or this contrivance but I remember saying to him you know Who's the competition? And you'd expect you two to say maybe the Stones and Springsteen. This was like you know, six years ago. Franz Ferdinand and the Killers. And you, you six talk, years ago, yeah, whatever it was, <laughs> ten years ago, ten years ago. <laughs> and, and, you know, you, you talk to Adam about favourite records. It'd be like Foles, and, and I don't think they're trying to be down with the kids. I, I still think they, they think they're competing. No, yeah, that's yeah, I, totally. I think that's one of with those things. It's yeah, the that, current sort of crop. Yeah, Coldplay are, are I think like the big you know kind of coming up from behind. We're on the same level as you two now, and they do the same style, a big massive show. Yeah. So you know, again, it's like a band that are very very aware, as you said here. But anyway, another band, a band that took a very long time to make a record but it's a record that's held up in great esteem are my buddy Valentine and the record is Loveless let's listen to Sometimes
that's sometimes. Now, before we get to Shane Langan, uh, is that all right for a choice there, Kerry? You all right with that one, yeah? Sometimes. Yeah. Oh, banger. Good. I'm glad. Can I say banger? You can say banger. Okay, you banger. can say whatever you want. Hashtag banger. It's your podcast. Can I say hashtag banger? And mine. <laughs> it's get this. Hand ready with McGuinness, like Lanois with Eno. Shane, Loveless. What yeah. can what can be said about it? Oh, it's amazing. This is a uh, this is like a band I to- like. I just totally let pass me by, largely um, growing up, and uh, I'm this. Yeah, I just absolutely adored this album. I thought it was incredible. Um, yeah, like I don't it like and also reading everything about about how the album was made and and the chaos it, it created it was like it took two years uh, to record when I think creation. We're, ex- we're expecting like five days maybe to record it. it. I think it went through like 19 different studios and even more engineers. And I mean, it's it's a bit and, and it cost, I don't, and I think it reportedly cost a quarter of a million, but I don't think that's exactly what it ended up costing. But there's a thing where he said, there's no way. Oh, oh, we did the maths. It was 160,000. It's like, what? There's various <laughs> different reports and, yeah. and disputes about the actual fee. But, but he, still insanely. But also, right. you know, like the, the, the big narrative from when you read sort of, uh, you know, the guys from Creation talking about uh, Kevin Shields um, is sort of like he only sees things from his own point of view and he couldn't he couldn't possibly see things from our point of view. So I think maybe that might come into into the sort of uh, maths he he went up. Yeah, it's just it's just an an absolutely incredible uh, album. It's one that I think really needs your attention. I I think I started I started listening to it sort of casually uh, the first few times I listened to it, and actually it uh, started to affect my marriage because we were <laughs> we were playing we were playing and trying to make breakfast at the same time, and we just ended up in a weird fight, and we could only put that down to this sort of stressful sort of noise in the background, um, <laughs> but. It, it's only stressful when you're not paying attention to it because there's so much going on. It's so dense. There's so so many sort of samples and samples of of feedback and stuff like that. And and the lyrics are so down in the mix you can't make them out. But it's just when you're actually listening to it and you actually got your headphones on, and you're paying attention to it, and it's got your full attention. It's um, there's just so much to get out of it. You mentioned stressful noise. There's like the anecdote about I think it was Dick Green, who's the second in command in creation or something, whose hair went grey overnight. <laughs> overnight, <laughs> yeah. And like, and the the publicist for uh, creation basically said that uh, if it wasn't for this record, he wouldn't have gone grey. And that was at the age of twenty nine because he was constantly having to be the middleman between Kevin Shields and Alan McGee, and kind of being like, uh, apparently he was like shaking whenever he'd have to open the post because <laughs> at one point Alan McGee was like, I'm not paying for any more of this because. This sounds like your classic case of an artist who has an incredible piece of work in them and mm. they're going to make you wait for it and they're going to do it at their own pace and it seems the, play, the pace here was glacial uh, but at the same time I mean like can you really argue with the results well this is the like, thing it's, uh, most of these stories are you know man goes so far up his own arse uh, album never happens or whatever this is like no he, he did take ages to do it did cost a million but it's like a seminal album like it's mm. like Definitely always in one of these lists of albums of the 90s, our best Irish albums, you know, despite there being plenty of, you know, English people in the band. Let's not get into that conversation. But, um, you know, it's uh, like, it's... <laughs> I, I, I did still, I was having exactly like, <clears throat> all that, like, it is, and it's, it's an incredible album, but still, I, I, I was listening to an interview with him, with Kevin Shields, um, and he was still, he was talking about it in terms of, yeah, still a bit of a missed opportunity, you know what I mean? Still like, I kind of look back at it as something pretty good I did when I was drunk or something, you know? Yeah. And if I just, Jesus. if I just given it, just basically the, the, uh, the subtext was, if I just given it a little bit more work, it would have been even better. 
Alan McGee told me that all the stories are true, 100%. Mm. In fact, there's lots that weren't told because there wasn't much in the way of social media back then. But he said, you know, Kevin did go a bit off the grid and would experiment with all sorts of weird and wonderful sort of, you know, sort of sound effects. There's a lot of duvets involved with the, <laughs> the, the vocals. I think, though, you know, everyone goes, oh, they're loud and they're abrasive. But at, at the core, like the Jesus and Mary chain, are some really sweet pop yeah. tunes. Mm. This, this is the yeah. thing that I kind of th- – there is a little bit of a frustration there because um, I do think you could have had both a bit more. You could have mm. had – the the noise and the distortion and some of the distortions gorgeous really warm lovely distortion but it's you know it's like looking at a statue in the middle of a park when you're outside the park it's sometimes it's like I know that looks really yeah. impressive but it's just a little bit far away from me like the melodies and is that a good analogy? Let's leave it in. <laughs> but, uh, I'm just enjoying you trying to rework one of the most <laughs> iconic Irish albums ever made. Here's what I would have done by Kieran McGuinness. No, but I, I, well, I, I was, I was kind of going like I wonder like I get it I get it entirely but I was also thinking like you could also have this and have the melodies more present you know I, I, I don't know I because I, I just think that's the only thing is about this album is that I was just like I listened to these albums a lot um, but every time I listened to this it was always like kind of you had to let it wash over you and I would always end up doing like so I'm doing so I'm going for a walk I'd end up I'd end up drifting in my head a little bit a lot you know um, it's like it, it's amazingly kind of strong but it also means that it's it's so intense that you nearly have to kind of give you a don't, break you don't even have the sort of the you know the vocals to sort of get to like keep you like you know yeah. cause, because they're so sort of ingrained and in like the, the way it's sort of is presented is like the the vocals which usually are some kind of feel like something separate you know what i mean and then you got the music and this is like the vocals are a sound as well that are part that is part of the whole other mix of sound and so y- y- it it's a challenge but it's it's like the anti u2 in that way the album because the u2 is like really it really it has its melodies are really clear you know it's like it sounds this is what they're doing you can hear it and you can you can take it really clearly like a statue in (laughs) really close it it gave birth some awful journalistic cliches you know sonic cathedrals but ethereal shards of noise I think was coined you know having listened to to My Bloody Valentine one of the best clippings I ever got sent about 10 years ago from the Camden Bugle was this local residence association that complained about the, the noise coming from a bistro in, in, in their neighbourhood and they had a picture and they had all the, the names you know S. Smith and it was like a Mr. K. Shields <laughs> and he had complained about the noise from a bistro but he then in an interview said it wasn't the, the level it was, it was all it was all top end it was all tinny I couldn't stand that <laughs> so he wanted more if it would be more bass he'd be fine yeah. with it but he actually sort of sent in a complaint to the local council about someone's noise I'm curious as to when you were talking to Alan McGee uh, like because he has been quoted as kind of saying you know I don't really get what all the fuss is about oh yeah he record. said this is this incredibly overrated or something he said it's not yeah. like bass Beethoven's Eighth Symphony. It's like a, a record that took three years to make. The show taking like two months or something. So, like, was he was he particularly down on it when you were in his orbit? No, I, I think he appreciated it was a, a, a decent album, but he was much more effusive about Scream Delica, which came out the same year. Yeah, probably because he could indulge his own recreational habits with the Scream <laughs> team. Probably didn't quite so much with, with Kevin. Allegations, allegations. But I, I'd say you know he 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 identified as people you know with, with, with Primal Scream more than he would have done with Kevin Shields yeah, he, he wasn't the most quite, social of animals he yeah. can't, he can't, he can't, I, I, can't, I don't buy that he believes that about this album I don't, you no. know what I mean I, I think that's just a good quote you know yeah exactly like it's it's much more interesting you know for him to be telling stories about creation because they they 
they allowed creativity happen so much that it destroyed the label. It just sounds better for him, sort of. You know, like mm. that's that's what, yeah. Like, but you know, I I love the um the, like. There's one of the cool things about this is there's loads of little sonic interludes. Like there's little bits that happen at mm. the end of songs and yeah. little things that kind of happen and then don't go anywhere. Like I love all yeah. that stuff. Like yeah. uh, you know, I just think. I think but it's really kind of in terms of innovation and like the sounds are mind blowing, and also the, it, there is sort of you know there's that the contradiction again the sort of the warmth warmth of the melodies, but they're wrapped in this sort of abrasive distortion. But it's a contradiction that works. It's yeah. But that's what, actually just thinking about that. There's a huge confidence uh, uh, in a lot of these albums like, to make Loveless and put it out there and say this is our new album, which like didn't sound like very much at the time it was very very different and he can't have known it would be a seminal album you know he can't mm. have known that he, he, you know he was trying something or whatever else and Our House is the same like he just went and went for it you know and maybe that was because he had, it had not worked before so he just totally went for it you know you two he, they went for it because it, they had you know like there's a lot of that throughout these albums the frames obviously is hugely on the confidence of mm. what they think they're going to achieve but like but the My Body Valentine it's like it's it's not confidence it's it's almost like just uh, what's the word not just not absolutely not even giving a, a shit what Ar- anyone it's arrogance it's a bit of arrogance but uh, mm. but it's like I don't know because I think this is a bit different because of the the nature of the fact that they sort of that they it took them to it took him two years to yeah, do it yeah. you know and they moved from all these places like went through engineer after was at war with the engineers by the end but had this thing in his head that he wasn't willing to tell anyone else about and you know this the, the album I mean yeah. not, not some other secret <laughs> um, um, you know like it's I, I don't know I, I wouldn't classify that as going for it like I, there's a kind of an there's an, or even like is that, is that, does that, but does that sound like a confident man you know what I mean like well, if, if it was a confident man would he not have got it done in Two weeks. <laughs> well, he's, there's a, there was a quote. I, like, I, like I was really like years ago. I got really into. The, I was really into this album in the in early two thousands, and um, it accompanied me around like for two weeks in New York on mini disc. I told this story before, <laughs> but I got really into figuring out what the lyrics were, and there was loads of like you know early two thousands message boards where they had mm. all the lyrics, and I think it's this, and I think it's this, and the lyrics, you know, there's there. They're nothing. There's nothing special about any of the lyrics. The lyrics are all fine. They're, they seem to be quite placeholdery, and they also seem to be just because they're in the music. They kind of have a feel, and the sound of the words are more important than the actual lyrics. But um, Belinda Butcher said that she, her, and Kevin Shields spent more time on aggregate, like uh, on um, on the lyrics, than they spent on the music. And I, I cannot believe that. Like, wow. I can't, I can't <laughs> believe that. I, I'm guessing it evolved. I can't imagine the original demos sound much like the finished record. And some bands, you know, you hear the demos and what comes out the other end is pretty much identical with a few bobs and whistles. But but I imagine this was a, sort of a, a, a journey. W- would you get to make a record like that anymore? Would you be allowed that kind of budget, that kind of freedom? Well, no, so? you could. You could, do, you could do that record in your own. It would, it would take you five years in your bedroom. But you yeah. could. The thing about it is, is that, like, the difficult thing about art and, <laughs> I think, about uh, music is that, you know, the amount of time you have to devote to it, it has there has to be you have to feed you know financially there needs to be something like you need to have gigs you know and you also need to feel like you know what you're doing and there be an audience for you to release it you know uh, like and so I think it'd be very hard like my buddy Valentine had the confidence of a label behind them allowing mm. them to do it and if you didn't have that a hundred times during that process you would go no hang on I don't know if this is right do you know what I mean. You either I have to be incredibly like sure of yourself, age. or 
It depends on what masters you have to serve and like what audience you have waiting for you th- at the other end. I mean, like modern day examples are hard to come by, but like Frank Ocean when he put out Blonde last year, that was kind of you know everyone thought it's it's going to come out this year, it's going to come out this year, it's never going to come out ever. That air of mystery and that you know whether he's a quote unquote difficult artist, we don't quite know because we don't know that much about him. Um, but ultimately, what did come out at the end of that process was for me one of the best albums I've heard in years. And so it was like, cool, you know, you've earned that credibility, you've earned that trust with your critics and with your fan base who waited with you and were patient with you. I would imagine, though, if you were like actually working admin on this record, you would be literally tearing your hair out. I mean, it must have been, you know, but I, I can't help but admire him because of what came in the end. That said, though, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if, like, you know, if the master for this got lost and he just recorded it again, they'd probably all sound completely different. Well, like, he's remastering uh, those two albums now, I think, at the moment. But I think the common wisdom these days is you, you know, you, you get your okay. songs done in pre production, you know what you're doing, you don't waste studio time. Whereas, you know, Loveless, I think, like Scream Medellica, I'm not sure Primal Scream knew they're going to come out with that. I think there was a lot of experimentation in the studio, which cost a lot of money. Mm. And like I say, bands are told these days by all people like me or whoever, know the songs inside out. Oh, no, that's the most expensive thing you can do is the days you spend in the studio. Absolutely, you know the song beforehand, you have it really well worked. I mean, that's just common sense because, like... But does it stop you going off in different tangents? No, because the biggest thing about, like, artists who spend forever writing an album is that they generally... Their quality, can, either their quality control gets lost, their perspective gets lost, or they get lost in self-analysis. And that, like, it, that's the thing. It's, it's if it goes through all those processes, you know, you could, you, you know, an album can be destroyed with that. Like I think, and I, I don't know, and I'm, I hope that I'm wrong, but you too, I think sometimes, if if something is taking a long time. I'm guessing that it's lost in self-analysis. You know, is this good enough? Is this going to appeal to this? Mm. Is this going to do this? Now, I don't know. I don't know you two personally, so I can't say. But, you know, that that feels like that kind of thing, you know? Whereas someone like A House, I imagine, they don't they do not do that. They go, this is the best I could do at this point. Here it is. Yeah. Here's the album. Let's move mm. on to the next thing. Yeah. You know, but for them, like, like My Brother to Valentine's albums and, the, and this album... They're a, they're a rarity in that it is an incredible amount of time spent on something, I'd say, insane self-analysis, insane, you know, whatever. And it, it ends up being great, you mm. know? Mm. But he's, uh, like Kevin Shields, he's just a unique This is the thing, character. I mean, like, like yeah, he's an outlier. Totally. He dominated yeah. this whole process. And mm. I mean, like, I, um, I interviewed the Horrors recently and their new record, V, which is excellent. Uh, Paul Epworth, who's known for modern-day pop stuff, as, uh, you know, his current stuff, at least, rather, he was saying that he completely took them out of their comfort zone by essentially challenging them to not throw away stuff. Like he said, they wrote, they wrote about 70 songs. And he was like, no, 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 keep that one. Do that again. Like, there was room for experimentation. There was room for searching. There was room for failure. Whereas, you know, you might have a Rick Rubin who comes along and is like, no, no, cut that, cut that, cut that, cut that, cut that, and I'll see you in two weeks. So, but, but Kevin, Shields didn't, yeah, Kevin, Ke- Kevin Shields didn't allow for either. He was that guy. And he was like, if it takes two years, it takes two years. But that's the thing. It's really hard. Like, look, we're three years into our new album and we wrote an album pretty much entirely. And then I guess we pretty much entirely ditched that album. And But there was one song on it that was like head and shoulders over everything else. So then we just wrote a new album and with taking taking the direction of that. And that was really hard for us to do because, like, we're, you know, like, 
you know, we, we're musicians full time. So to be away from releasing an album for like, you know, three years is hard. And I can imagine a lot of bands wouldn't allow themselves to get to the point of my brother, like, you know, the Loveless album. They would go, all right, what do we have here? Mm-hmm. And let's go and release this'll, it. This will do like or? Well, no, I mean, or like, we have to like, like yeah, like the, the label will be going, you have to release this. There is no more money. You need to get singles out. You need to get whatever, because now you don't make a hell of a lot of money from albums. You need to be on tour. You need to be out there. Like we're lucky because, you know, we're a little bit older and stuff. So. And like nobody's waiting on us, so what we have oh, to do? Oh, we are. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. Like it isn't like there's a, you know, there isn't like a Live Nation are not shouting at us to get an album out so we can satisfy tour dates. So we could afford to write the best album we could. Well, I mean, there was like 22 years, was it, between this and MBV? Mm. Apparently, there's a new album. Yeah, uh, nearly. I hope, are you guys knocking finished. down? Are you guys knocking down doors to get into that studio and see what's really going on? Uh, well, allegedly, Colomo, um, what have you? Cossack. I never quite teach you how to pronounce that. Oh, what's nothing? Quisog, is it? Uh, I don't know. I shouldn't okay, have said anything. <laughs> Currently on tour with Hope Sandoval in the mm. States, was on radio in, in Boston and, and let it slip. He's going back to help Kevin finish off the album. Yeah, so. there had been like a, a, a bio went up on some festival website about Kevin Shields, and in the in the copy it was like he was currently working on, and then oh, someone really? was like, "Get that down." <laughs> so I would love to know actually how many copies they released it. Obviously on, on online that time, I'd love to know how successful that was. Again, it was Keith Cullen mentioned earlier from Satanta yeah. who masterminded that. So he's sort of you know move with the times from from a very sort of you know indie purist sort of you know background to something a bit more modern. But I'd love to know how that did for them whether or not they, they have much of a budget or if it's all done at home on the cheap. Or he has an amazing studio in Wicklow, very, very close to um, my, uh, my in-laws. Oh. So um, they're in the same townland. So, um, you got to get the scoop here, man. So what I'm going to do yeah. is I'm going to go down and be like, oh, I've got your milk. <laughs> <laughs> you, haven't had milk. Pizza. you haven't had milk in, in months. Potato man. Yeah. <laughs> Where the hell have you been? It's still funny. <laughs> going to kick a ball over the wall. You can talk about Love Us All Day and we won't, but what I would say is sonically, uh, how does it hold up in 2017, do you think? Get it sounds fantastic. And I, I, I sound like a parrot, but again, do listen to it in order. I'd say that once he'd done the actual songs, he probably agonised for a year over the track listing and the sequencing. And there's a nice little dance song at the end. Yeah, soon. which is totally strange, but that, it's awesome. Yeah, soon. Is that the yeah, one? And it's soon, like, yeah, yeah. which was previously released on EP. Like, but yeah. that's like real. That's one of those songs that, like, you know, I, I, there was a couple in these albums that just, like, again, that thing of, like, put them all on. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. But you mentioned, like, you know, like, kind of even, like, pop melodies. Like, like Only Shallow, the opener, like, that's a pop song. Like, I mean, like, I know it's drowned in, in yeah. beautiful shoegaze reverb, but it's, like, it's it's a conventional pop song to me. Like, it's, Well, like, sometimes it's a total pop song as well. It's a brilliant, mm. brilliant song. I mean, like, I, I think people, you know, could resist this record because they might think, I mean, Jesus, I'm not into that kind of, you know, like, mu- like it's very musician Based. Yeah. like you know I think it's a lot more accessible than, than, than people might I didn't think I was into that, this type of music really I thought this was sort of like a an, like a corner of indie that I kind of never went near mm. and um, it's categorised as sho- sh- yeah, yeah it's categorised mm. as shoegaze yeah. and I wouldn't put this really in that shoegaze no. kind of thing really you could almost call it a pop record I honestly I do believe record, the melodies yeah. are just so sweet but I actually I, was, I did I did uh, we were playing a, a gig recently we had to do Halloween themed songs and the thing about Halloween themed songs is once you get past kind of Monster Match and Thriller you're into like I think this is kind of Halloween <laughs> <laughs> it's got the word death in it so you know and it's like you're into nonsense the, the wreck you know? of the Evan Fitzgerald like, yeah, yeah it's just, it doesn't make sense so I was like oh I'll do it my buddy Valentine's song I'll do sometimes and then um, it just I was thinking to do it you'd either yeah. have to do it in a pop way or you have to do it like their way and then everyone in the audience is like well I dress up as a giant minion for this <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, uh, it's come to that point of the show where we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with uh, a champion of sorts for mm. out of these five. Your guess is as good as mine. Back after this. Okay, so, uh, yes, a tough one, I would say. So we're lots of off-mic fisticuffs, but uh, Kieran McGuinness, oh. put you on the spot. Shit. What would you go with? Um, 91. Yes, thanks, Dave. That's the um, year. <laughs> <laughs> that's the year. Um, I have to go for My Bloody Valentine and you 2 uh, And I'm choosing two because I think, it, like, they're kind of, they're just exceptionally good albums. Um, Acting Baby is... Uh, you know U2's masterpiece and if if someone wanted to hear an Irish album from the 90s they would, I would probably play them that or My Buddy Valentine so those two I have to choose Fair enough Stuart Clark I think the same actually as Kieran Loveless because 26 years on it still surprises and I still hear bits that I haven't heard before or forgotten about you know you can never say you finish listening to that album and you too, because people kind of hear the newest stuff, perhaps they're younger and go, well, what's the fuss? How comes they're the biggest band in the world? Well, that's the reason. Very good. Roshan Dwyer. I'm afraid I'm going to echo those sentiments again. Yeah, Loveless, just because of completely innovative um, guitar sound. And uh, when you do, every time you listen to it, you do discover something else. And uh, yeah, Octung Baby, because The Fly is the best song ever <laughs> written. Kieran McGuinness. I oh, know, I'm joking. Minus um, one point. No, because it, it's just a fantastic record. Um, yeah. All right, Shane. I'm going to go for the frames. No, um, <laughs> no. I'm sorry. I'm going to go for Loveless as well. I, I, uh, it's um, a pretty, pretty exceptional album. And um, yeah, I don't, I'll actually you know, an honourable mention to Our House, uh, even though I didn't like it. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a really, it's it's a really, it's bold and it's an admirable album. And I think some people will really like it. Roshan, delighted that you got an house mention in there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, Loveless for me. I mean, like, Octon Baby as the shining, very, very shining silver medal, but Loveless is the champion for me because it's my favourite Irish album, I think. I think it's, like, a work of art. I think it's pretty much flawless. Um, but what I would say is I know that might sound like a very predictable outcome for this episode, but there's a reason why these two albums are, like, they are, they justify the hype. Yeah. Like, 26 years on, like, they, they still stand up. They are Titanic records they should be in everyone's record collection and if you've never heard them before I'm kind of envious I'm envious of people who get to like seek these out for the first time and experience them in their own ways but not necessarily in the bath but definitely with headphones that's what I would say or both don't do both or both <laughs> uh, so uh, Shane my buddy Valentine which song would you want to play us out with today um, can I, well we've already played sometimes we only played 30 seconds and we, we could play all 5 minutes in 19 that's, seconds that's that thing. good choice Excellent but before choice. we go I will thank everybody Shane, Roisin, Stuart and Kieran. thank you all so much that was awesome thank, thank you thank, thank you very much so this is my buddy Valentine and sometimes my name is Dave Hanready this has been No Encore The Revisit and we'll be back with yet another one very very soon
This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of A Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's A Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central only on PBS. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.